Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. This is show number 30, The Midnight McBride Show. And this show, I've called it Blind Delusions in a World. Now, that might seem like an unusual title, but very relevant for the guest we've got on this week's show. Now, the guest on this week's show is a lady called Jill Nicholas. Now, Jill is an artist and she's also an author. She has a website called Delusions Shop. And Jill is also actually at the minute developing cataracts and going blind. So all very relevant. And Jill's art is predominantly now done on akin to maybe Salvador Dali with imaginary worlds and coming from inside rather than painting what she sees outside. All the work comes from inside. So Jill Nicholas, welcome onto the show. Lovely to be here. Absolutely. Really excited to have you on. We had the pre-show chat and we talked about a number of topics and I thought this is going to make a really good show because it's fascinating how your art comes about. A lot of people do portraits and they repeat what they see in the external world, but, yeah, yeah. but your art comes from within and it must be quite a disturbed place. <laughs> <laughs> it looks it. It looks it. Looking at the work my Recent work, it does look it, but I did start doing the portraits. I did start doing the landscapes, yeah. painting what was real, what was in front of me. Um, I've done that, and it, it. I loved doing it, but I always felt as though there was more to explore. I think it's so much more interesting when you see somebody's art that reflects what's going on inside, rather than just there's a landscape, a beautiful hill or a portrait of a person and you're repeating and you're copying that. This is, it's unique. There can never be two of these. Absolutely. Uh, well, people say that to me. People say like, um, are you not worried about people copying your work or copying your ideas? And I'm like... How's that possible? <laughs> yeah, go for it. Have a go. I think they'd be too can. frightened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, but it's, that when you look at the work I'm doing... If someone was to say, oh, yeah, I'll paint that, I, I've already moved on. So people say to me, what's your favourite piece of work? And I'll say the next one. Yeah, exactly. It, yeah. As soon as they're done, they're done. They get put to one side and I'm on to the next one because it's an outpouring of thought and an outpour of process and and the reality of now. It's I'm not repeating a picture because it looks nice. I describe this as... In a different way for me, because it's not art, it was writing at one point, but you had the universal energy flowing through you at 100 miles an hour. And if you stem that flow, I get very agitated, frustrated. I need to let it out. And so the yeah. second I've done a project, yeah. as soon as I've finished something, it's already evolved to the next thing. And like people will read the book, the first book I wrote, From Pills to Peace, and they'll reference it and ask me about it. But that was two years ago. I'm a different person now. <laughs> two years. You know, so. Just disappears, yeah. doesn't it? In fact, the last 10 days, um, I've had an exhibition on in the Northern Quarter in Manchester. Ah. And I've also um, just been helping out my mum yeah. at her house. And... Um, I haven't painted. I haven't painted or drawn for 10 days. And yesterday I had to get back to the easel. I was itching. I was, yeah. It was starting to really, you, you, you feel panicky. You feel like something's missing. Like you need to get something yeah. down. It's like turning a tap off and yeah. then the pressure builds. The pressure know. does build, yeah. definitely. 
for myself, I had a dictaphone with me. I had a pad next to me ah, at night. Right. And I just, it was, it became quite manic. I couldn't stop it, you know. Yeah. Had to get it out. Whatever was in there had to come out, you know. And I knew that. That's what I did not. So... If you've watched this show, Jill, and I know you have, yes. you'll know what happens. We talk about somebody's life, we go on a bit of a journey and explore how they've arrived in this present moment and perhaps what drove them or motivates them to do what they're doing now. So the journey's really relevant. Yeah. And we'll start at the beginning. And with yourself, I met you through a lady called Donna Webb. Donna's now put me in touch with two people that have been in guests on this show. Debs Cassar-Egan, who's an intuitive, uh, a lovely lady, and also a fellow author. And then yourself came along as well. So Donna's seems to handpick, I don't know how she knew, but people that would work really well for this show, you know, really interesting as well. So starting at the beginning, Jill, you're a Burry girl. I am. A Burry, Berry, Burry? Berry. Berry. You can't get more Berry, actually. I was born on Gig Lane. Right. Which is where the Berry football ground is. Yes. So, yeah. yeah. I remember when I was growing up, the football fans used to come down and it was during the 70s, of course. Yeah. So I wasn't allowed to play out on a Saturday afternoon. Oh, no. Oh, no, I had to stay in. And so I drew. So I'd stay inside and draw and make things. And that was my sort of... Vent, in, express yeah, yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So but very early. You've gone through different modalities in art and you started off with with pottery was... Yeah, I, I've always painted, always. Yeah. So that's um, always been... Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I saw my first paintings or first drawings when I was 11 because yeah. at school there were no photocopiers. So they would... Um, during GCSEs, the older children needed drawings to go in their projects. Yeah. So I would sell my drawings a pound each for their... So I was, set, <laughs> <laughs> I was selling drawings at 11. That's bored. I <laughs> you, it it yeah. was allowed. It yeah, was allowed. Yeah, it was yeah. like photocopying, but I yeah, copying decent. pictures out of books and selling them. Yeah. Um, so I've always drawn, I've always painted. Um, and then I got through to university and... I was at university during the um, YBA artist, the young British artist, Damien yeah. Hurst, yeah. Tracy Emin, yeah. all those. Yeah. And my world was a colourful world full of um, things in front of me. Thing, real, I wanted to explore reality. I wanted to paint amazing scenes. And that wasn't the thing to do in... At that time, yeah. it was very much conceptual art. It was very much contemporary. Uh, and I didn't fit into the fine art world. Um, and I wasn't willing to change the way I thought my integrity as Good. an artist Good. just to fit in. So I didn't go down the fine art r- route. Um, I went into 3D design, three-dimensional design. I did yeah. um, wood, metal, ceramics and glass and majored in uh, ceramics and metal, but I was a potter. I had a pottery down in Cheshire for we were potter, nearly potter. ten years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Potter, oh potter, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, that was amazing. I really, really enjoyed that. But spending that time doing the pottery and working with amazing people on projects, um, Peckford and Castle. And things like Beautiful that. Beautiful place. I've been a few times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did a medieval banquet 
set for them. Ah. They've made all those. Because it's it's a medieval castle converted into a hotel now without yeah. weddings and things. But it's got a yeah. moat and everything in it. Oh, it's, it's, it's fantastic. I've been inside it. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. that that was did some amazing things. Um, but I also found out I wasn't a potter. Right. You, you do things for 10 years. You start to work out whether you fit in with that and yeah. not. And I, I don't think I did. Maybe you were a potter, but I found I'd done certain things and at the time, and then afterwards I thought, oh, well, that wasn't it. But maybe it just was at the time, but I'd, I'm constantly changing and evolving. Yeah, I need, I think I definitely needed to do it. I definitely needed to be in that space at that yeah. time. Sometimes you have to do something to find out that's not what you need to do. Yeah, and, <laughs> and to be introduced to certain people and be in certain areas at certain times to... It's serendipity. Yeah. You know, the alignment, synchronicity. Uh, yeah. And I've always been one for going with the flow and seeing what happens. And if I do feel stuck, instead of forcing it, I tend to stop. Yeah. And just see. I think I've learned in life now that some of the things I've done, I haven't enjoyed and I've done them for a long time because of the finances associated with them. And now I really. I don't have a long-term plan. I take it a day at a time. Yeah. And I never quite know how things are going to end up, but I have to follow my passion. If I don't do that, I feel like I'm dying. I think more people should. More people should follow a passion. Um, the, the, there are a lot of people working, walking around with a lack of passion in their yeah. hearts. And it, if you do that, your whole, your whole life falls into place yeah and everything else the other elements you know the finances your living arrangements your relationships all sort of when you're following your heart and you're in bliss everything else takes care of itself yes you know you might yeah. not be wealthy but sod wealthy you know <laughs> i need to be happy the w i need to be happy yeah there's many different ways of describing wealth isn't yeah, there you yeah. know i mean Exactly, yeah. yeah. People traditionally, they think success and wealth is associated with money and material possessions. In my world, it's neither. It's neither of those things, you know. Yeah, so. mine's how many paints I've got on the shelf. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so you were a potter for quite a long time. Yeah, yeah, nearly 10 years. Yeah. And then you described going through what you called a spiritual awakening. And that term, I, I use the shift... Um, you could, there's lots of terms you could use for it, but spiritual awakening is a good term. And yeah. Maybe, maybe tell us a bit about that. For myself, I would call it a shift because um, I, never I never felt as I fitted into anything. So just a shift in mental thinking, a shift yeah. in awareness. Yeah. Um, and I went down to a, a lovely place in Northwich called Feathers uh, and met um, Jackie Dennison. Um, and she had this place where they did uh, awareness courses, they did Reiki, they did yeah. meditation for relaxation, which is where I started. Yeah. I started with meditation for relaxation. I needed to quieten my mind. Yeah, well. And that's where it all started. And then things started happening. It It was like... If I needed something, it appeared. Absolutely, yeah. And I was in my sat in my pottery, and I had an amazing urge to go and buy an airbrush. 
Yeah. Why would you think, oh, I need to go and buy an airbrush? But it was an overwhelming urge to go out and buy an airbrush. So I went into a shop in uh, the art shop in Northwich and I bought an airbrush, a compressor airbrush, quite an expensive one. It wasn't like, you know, it was a few hundred pounds, yeah. a bit of an outlay. But I thought, no, I really need to do this. And I, I brought it back and I started painting and I didn't stop. And I was just... And people were coming into the pottery to do pottery. And I was like, oh, another one. I need to go and do some pottery now instead of my painting. Uh, and I start, it started off with fairies, phoenixes, um, if that's the plural for phoenix, I don't know. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> uh, quite ethereal uh, paintings where I was just, it was like an outpouring of, I must have done 50 or 60 images of just having to pour out these drawings uh, of captured emotion. Yeah. And and people really resonated with them and said, oh, my God. And it would make people emotional it, it whilst they were looking like at them. all these images that are coming from inside that, you know, you're not replicating something else means that there's a lot of magic going on inside here. But it didn't feel like they were inside. Right. That was the weird bit. Some of them, some of them, yes, I planned out. And those ones didn't go so well. But some of them didn't feel like they were coming in from inside me. Some of them felt like they were just arriving and I was just drawing uh, from an ex, yeah. not from. I I don't want it to sound like oh I'm channeling and uh, and things like that because I don't feel. It, no one's ever said you know yes you're a channeler or yes you do this yeah. and I don't want to say oh yes I am something no, yeah, because you I've don't no have no idea define yourself. exactly yeah. I don't like to define myself um, my work will do that <laughs> do you know yeah. what I mean Wayne Dyer always used to say who by the way turned the phrase the shift yeah you know? right right and Wayne Dyer always used to say that anybody that ever has ever done anything really significant or great will tell you that they didn't do it they were just a vessel or a channel and something else was behind it yeah you know? it felt like that universal energy God you can call it whatever you like but there's something more yeah it got to the point where I need really I really needed some plastic sheets to make some um, masks. So you lie that on spray over the top and it makes a shape. Yeah. You cut them out with scalpels and things. And I really needed some. Couldn't find any in a, a local shop. And by the side, I kid you not, by the side of the road, on the floor, were a pile of plastic sheets. Mm. You know, the, the like the backing off of folders. Yeah. And there must have been about 20 of them. And I just picked them up and I was like... I found this. I, if I wrestle with something in life and I think, oh, I'm trying to make something happen a certain way and I've defined, I've already decided there's only this way it can happen, it doesn't work. Yeah. And the second I remove the resistance and just let go and say, oh, sod it, and just cast it off to the universe, boom, it's delivered yeah. straight away and it appears right in front of me. And it was the same. It's learning how just... to get out the way and let the universe... I say in the book, the universe can deliver at the speed of light. If only you let it. And you have to watch. You have to li listen and observe. Got to be fully present to see it. Otherwise yeah. you miss it. Absolutely. Yeah. I think if I have any regrets, I haven't got any at the moment, but if I did in the future look back and think, what do I regret? It would be 
not being present enough to see opportunities. Mm. How many opportunities did I not see? I say if you're driving down the motorway and you're going at 100 miles an hour and you're driving really fast, you're not going to see the signs, yeah? Which, you know, some people might call coincidences. But if you slow down and you're paying attention and you're on your way to Blackpool, you'll see signs for Blackpool all the way. These are what, you know, you can call them coincidences, synchronicity, alignment. The fact is, when you slow down and you're fully present and you observe what's around you, there are directions and signs everywhere, Yeah, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and I tried to record those in my in my paintings. It was about 2010. I'd done lots of paintings. 2010 came along, a big economic crash, and we had to move back to Manchester so from you, Cheshire. You sold the pottery business? I sold the pottery business. Uh, we moved back to Cheshire, uh, back to Manchester from Cheshire, and I took with me the painting. And when I came back to Manchester, I needed um, to go back to something that was familiar. So when I came back, I did some teaching. Yeah, I was a supply teacher because I'd done You'd primary school. You'd homeschooled your daughter, hadn't you? I did, yes. That, I, that was, was that six before years. you went to Manchester or in Manchester? Both. Oh, so right. I was homeschooling her whilst I was in Cheshire because I, I sold the business and then started homeschooling my daughter. Whilst we were in Cheshire, um, I homeschooled my daughter. She taught me so much. Yeah. Oh, that girl has just... What's she called your daughter? She's called Michelle. She taught me to toughen up. Yeah. Um, she taught me to concentrate on what's important, um, to, to not try and plan a road that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. You've got to be so willing to say, this road isn't working, let's change it. Yeah. She, uh, you've got to be like a, a reed in the wind. You've got to be flexible. Oh, so, yeah. And she, yeah. she taught me a lot of that. Before that, I, well, I I did try and control a lot of things. Um, and I just couldn't with her. Yeah. 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 So I homeschooled her and I was still homeschooling her when we moved to Manchester. Um, and that was about five years ago. About five years ago now. Um, and so... That's when the teaching, I did a bit of teaching and then the painting started again. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if anybody looks at your business page or your Facebook page, your personal page, they'll see pictures of you dressed up as what I'd call a, a, an orc furry, something <laughs> along these lines, where you, you're quite flamboyant, you've got these pointy ears on and various other things. So... Is that, this is the Furry, F-A-E-R-Y Festival, is that right? The, the spelling F-A-E-R-Y yes. is more of a traditional way of looking at F-A-I-R-Y. Yes. Fairy with the spelling F-A-I-R-Y. And this varies from person to person. Yeah. Um, the, the, the whole image of fairy... Which is, uh, you could do a whole show on that. Yes, yeah. It's like crazy. But the whole image of fairy, to me, wasn't Tinkerbell and little winged 
cartoon characters. Yeah. It was darker. It was more energy. It was more a more spiritual thing. Yeah. And to actually see it as F-A-E-R-Y helped me connect to the natural energies of that idea rather than I went to a a festival about two years ago now and I taught, I did some meditation talks and classes at this festival. And there was some F-A-E-R-Y furries there. (laughs) And there was a furry fallout because one of them was uh, talking about being a furry. And then this other lady said, you know, what do you know about me? I've been a fairy for 20 years. And, and then there's this big to-do, like a little to-do. And you don't mess with fairies. No, you don't. No. And I, I, I thought, you know, I was trying to spread peace, love and light and there was a fairy war going on. But <laughs> but I was quite shocked, actually. But I, then I I was ignorant and I was educated a little bit and I found out a little bit more about it. Yeah. And, yeah, it's not always, obviously, we've got the Disney version where you've got these cartoon characters and, and it's all pretty and the tooth fairy. But if you follow the roots of F-A-E-R-Y back a bit further, it's a slightly different story. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I started going to the festivals. The energy started coming through with the airbrush paintings. Um, and like yourself, I started looking more into it. And uh, the Celtic mythology behind yeah. uh, the Tuatha de Danann, I think I've pronounced that correctly. <laughs> Say that again. <laughs> Tuatha de Danann, the, uh, uh, the Irish Celtic mythology. Yeah, and even parts of the Mabinogi and the Welsh, um, the fairy stories yeah. in there as well. Um, and they fascinated me as well. And... I wanted to know more. I wanted to meet like-minded people. So I started going to fairy festivals, one in particular in Cornwall. Yeah. Um, it's a Three Wishes fairy festival. And that's where the ears yes. and the, thi- and the well, dressing fun. up. Yeah. Oh, it's absolutely fantastic. You, you can go your down there. You all up as well, didn't you? Yeah. With the dreads all. Yeah. yeah. You, can, you can go there and leave the modern world for a bit. So the first time I went, I took my daughter and up until that point, she had been a very stressed child, a a, a very intense, very stressed child um, through no fault of her own. Um, She was just trying to find her way in the world. And I took her to this fairy festival and all of a sudden this child exploded and became a person and was playing with other children and... It felt like the whole festival were looking after each other. You, yeah. you, she could say, I'm just going to go make some fairy wings. I'm just going to go and make a wand. And you're like, fine, I'll see you in a minute. And that's yeah. exactly how it freedom. was. Oh, freedom. Absolutely. Yeah. And, it is, and it's freedom for adults and children. And all these fairy festivals and fantasy festivals... A bit of it is escapism, a bit of it is fantasy, but a lot of it is being able to just stop yeah. and get back in touch with a certain energy that fuels you for your next six months or whenever it is yeah. until you get to the next you one. You go to a festival like that, as with one of the ones I went to, there's a great sense of community. I went to a festival called uh, Following the Joy, where I taught meditation, and it was just lovely. We yeah. we did laughter yoga. We sung, danced, you know, spent time with each other, got back to nature, disconnected from our phones and emails and 
social media and everything and any kind of festival like that where you're with like-minded people, it's a beautiful experience, isn't oh, it? Oh, yeah, know? yeah. It was actually at one... I mean, before these fairy festivals and me doing my airbrush paintings, by this point I had, like, 70 paintings, something like that. Um, and I hadn't intended to do anything with them. I didn't feel as though I was good enough to do anything with them. Um, I, just, I was just enjoying myself with yeah. them. And I went and did a workshop with a, um, an artist, Linda Ravenscroft. Brilliant. And she, oh, she was doing, I'll never forget it. It was boiling hot. It was under a horse chestnut tree. And we were sat on blankets and we were drawing. She was trying to get us to look at drawing what wasn't there. So you look at the tree, you look at things around on the ground and then imagine what they were on a fantasy level. So you look at the tree, you see a face in the tree, so you exaggerate the face yeah. and make it a re reality. And I, this... This sounds like the birth of your... Uh, what do they call it when you, you in, in art you go through different periods and, yeah. and your Salvador Dali period which is what you're in now I'd say yeah you know. well it, it was it basically look looking back now it's magical realism that's the art genre yeah. that it taking realis, realism putting a magical element in it magical realism yeah. and I did a few drawings people around me were doing drawings as well theirs were amazing and People looking at mine saying, that's really good. Yeah. Have you done this before? I said, yeah, I do drawings and stuff. And then Linda came over and said, you should be doing this. Mm. You, you should actually be doing this. And at that point, I thought, do you know what? If Linda Ravenscroft is telling me I should be doing this. Maybe I should. Yeah. Maybe I should. Yeah. Because she is, I mean, she's such an amazing artist herself. She's international now and... She was definitely someone I looked up to, which is really strange because when she started out, she started out at the same craft centre where I did my pottery. Ah. So we both had exactly the same starting point, but met up seven, ten years later at this fairy festival. Is this the point where, at what point did you do the children's book that you wrote? Did you do this? Yeah, um... From that festival with Linda, I went back and I immediately started doing my body spirit affairs. I got all my paintings. Yeah. I had prints made of them all, um, booked onto a couple of fairs, going, what am I doing? I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, the people who took me on as guest or uh, yeah. as a stall holder were so amazing, so they, they just helped me, uh, very supportive, and they were saying, you're going to be great, you're going to be great, These, this works really good, You'll, you have no problems whatsoever. So it was the support of the community, of the people around me, that got me over my fears of not being good enough yeah. to actually get off and do this. So I was doing those, and that's when I started getting ideas for 
doing a book. It was a book for the magical realism um, I'd been doing. The, the thing that Linda told me to do of seeing a tree, drawing it, yeah. and then taking it to a different place. I was taking my daughter up to a campsite in the Lake District called Church Style Woods, or Church Style Campsite. And in Church Style Campsite, there is a woods. And we'd walk round and we'd look at different parts of the woods and say, what does that look like? And we'd tell each other stories about yeah. what was in the woods. All this is explained in the like the foreword, the first chapter. So is the book... It's a children's story, but obviously with your art in the book as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what, when I was walking round, we'd get back and then I'd draw, for, just to entertain her, entertain myself, yeah. I'd draw the creatures that we'd just met yeah. walking around the woods. And after I'd done a few mind-body-spirit fairs, I was looking at these drawings and going, I, maybe I can do something with these. So I did the first draft in a week. I started on my mum's birthday and it took me one week to do the first draft. You know how I said at the beginning, sometimes it feels like you're not writing it. Yeah. You, there's somebody else. Mm -hmm. That's how it felt. It felt like... You brought your boot with you today, didn't you, Jill? Oh, yeah, because... No. <laughs> <laughs> I was really organised and didn't bring the book well, with me. It's probably my fault. I changed the time a couple of times, didn't I? So I, I no worries. knocked you out to no kilter a little bit, I think. You so. know, it's fine. The book... You're going down a path in the woods yeah. and to one side you see a nice sunny glade. So you go over and have a look round and maybe have a picnic there, spend a bit of time there. That was my book. So I was going down a really fast path and I saw an opportunity to sit down and have a picnic writing the book and yeah. illustrating it. So that's what I did. So if you looked at my body of work and what I was doing and the messages that I was trying to con convey in my paintings and then go, oh, look, there's a book. It's completely different, but at the same time it fits. Yeah. But I don't feel like it came exactly through me anyway, so it's it had to happen. What's the title of your book? It's called The Amazing Creatures of Church Style Woods. It's available on my website. So I'm now going to talk about your father past. The reason we're going to talk about that, Jill, is the fact that we're going to reference a couple of pieces of art that you've done. Yeah. And one of them, your father passed, and you said it, it helped you a lot. It was cathartic when you started painting. It helped you through that process, the grieving process. And the first piece of art you're going to talk about is one called Dad. I had a lot of things that I wanted to say about my dad, but I I put things down in pictures much easier than I do in words. I yes. find it easier to draw and paint something than I do to actually talk about it. So I did a painting for my dad with a falcon's head that represents my dad in yeah. his 70s gear with his slippers um he loved his slippers he did everything in slippers gardening everything yeah. behind is um the roses and the and the daisies he loved gardening yeah. when i do when when i wanted to do this painting 
I didn't want to just paint my dad. I didn't want to do a portrait of my dad because my dad was a very insular person. He kept away from publicity. And yeah. Even though he was in a band, he was mm. a guitarist in a band, but he was always in the background. He was a very quiet man. So I wanted to paint the bigger picture of my dad rather than just a face of him. Yeah. Um, and you, there's a there's a pint of beer there. Loved well. having a pint, yeah. yeah. Um, up at the top, there's um, it looks like some birds sitting on some ah, wires. Yeah, yeah. Those are represent the f music, bar music, sheet music, and the birds sitting on the wires. wires yeah. Are the uh, first two bars of albatross. Right. Which by Fleetwood Mac. Down, da, down, down, da, da. It's a really slow guitar piece of music. Yes. It's beautiful. Yeah. And he um, played that with his band. And I, me and my sister remember falling asleep to him practicing it when we were little. Yeah. So it was a very important uh, piece of music to us. And we actually played it as, 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 at his funeral as yeah. well. Yeah. Uh, there is a huge steam train going across. You can't miss the steam train. That's the top, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. He was a bit of a nerd for his steam trains. Yeah. He, he was a train spotter. Yeah. And we mercilessly teased him for being <laughs> a train spotter. But he did. He travelled all over to go yeah. and visit different steam well, trains. I think it's a beautiful piece of art. And I also think it's a great way to celebrate somebody's life, you know. Yeah, yeah. The, there's a gap in the railings. I, I think I do need to explain that bit. There's a no entry sign with a gap in the railings. That summed up my dad. If there was something he shouldn't do, yeah. he went and did it. Yeah. If there was a gap and the sign say no entry, he'd say, oh, I wonder what's going on the other side of there. And he'd have to go in and have a look. Yeah. Um, so that escaping into a different place, I've used that in the painting to show that he would go to the Lake District, the lake with Great Gable at the end. Yeah. Um, he'd go fishing. He'd do these gardening. All these things would be a way of getting away. And his music, yeah. of course. He, he obviously liked connecting with nature. Oh, very yeah. much so. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The second piece of art is called, and it's a bit freaky, it's called <laughs> Moa Cake Vicar. And it's very relevant to maybe a lot of things that are happening right now as well. So say the title for us, Jill. More Cake Vicar. More Cake Vicar. More Cake Vicar, okay. <laughs> and maybe tell us a bit about this piece. Okay, so this is more relevant to where I'm going with my work, which is looking at reality and how people are coping with reality and how people are expressing their realities. Here we have a picture of a lady who has probably just been asked, are you okay? Yeah. And she's going, yes, I'm absolutely fine. And she looks manic, doesn't she? Yeah. <laughs> this woman is not okay. Mm. Um, on closer inspection of this painting, there are eyes behind the curtains yeah. there's a locked door the apples are rotting on the plate the fairy cakes have wings the fairy cakes <laughs> have wings the, this lady is not coping very well but oh, pretending. Is, she's pretending she's mm. covering it up she's 
more cake vicar the baking cakes giving cake away is her way of saying everything's fine yeah, yeah. i don't need to deal with it Pe everything's fine people use routine or some of their actions and they attach themselves to them and they use that to hang on to sanity almost yeah. you know and we, what we talked about which i thought was interesting prior to the show is the fact that a lot of people don't want to know the truth about certain things. They want to stay in the bubble and it's much easier to have blinkers on and they don't want to know. And this is that kind of thing where somebody's pretending everything's fine, it's okay, and, and underneath, it's clearly not. Yeah. But the thought of addressing that issue, it could be like, a good analogy for this probably is in a relationship. Some people stay with the partner way too long because they're frightened of being on their own and what's on the other side. So they pretend everything's okay and it's not. Yeah. What what I want to do with the paintings, I mean, these paintings are coming from constant sources in my head, which I, I have sketchbooks and I, as soon yeah. as something comes in, it goes in a sketchbook. I've got, I carry one everywhere. And then I pick out ones that I think would make, or not that I would pick out. I pick out ones that I need to do at that moment. Yeah. There is a need to paint certain pictures. I'll flick through and one will jump out that needs to be painted that day. And as I'm painting them, I really want people to see a painting and go, oh, oh, that's an, oh. Actually, no, that's not a nice painting. It makes them think, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So they see a nice colourful image and go, oh, and then look in and go, oh, no. Yeah. And at that point, I want them to start thinking, what could this be about? And then that can relate to something that's going on in their own lives. People resonate with my images you either get what i'm trying to say or you don't and i understand that not everyone will look at m my paintings and say i get that mm. some people will look at all of them and not get any of them I, I think the pieces that i've seen today in the studio that you brought with you i look at them and at first you think oh yeah it's pretty and then i look and i think what's going on there what's yeah. all that about and some of them are a bit twisted and a bit strange and stuff but, but I like that I like unusual pictures that have got a message you know rather yeah. I don't want everything to look exactly like it does on face value I want to look into it you know which is exactly where we are at the moment that yeah. what you get at face value doesn't exist anymore the yeah. whole world isn't face value yeah that's disappeared I'd say in the last 10 20 years that whole well actually the whole point is i don't think it's ever been face value no. this idea of putting up masks putting up images of that you want people to see that are hiding the reality it's it's a human trait that can be so damaging to yourself yeah. and those people around you. It, it's funny how society's changed because if you go back to the 40s and 50s and even go further back to Edwardian times and people pretended everything was fine and they had this facade as this family unit when really, you know, there was a lot of domestic violence and abuse and lots of things going yeah. on. Now, 
people are talking about things that we didn't years ago, you know, and, and if you're a single mother and you've got a baby, that's fine. Did that 30, 40 years ago and, you know, you were you, an outcast. You hid it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it, well, it's, not, it's wrong. But in other ways, they didn't have social media then and a lot of people, social media can be very damaging and a lot of people portray an image on social media that's complete fabrication. That's oh, not true at all. That is so true. It's mm. so true. The what the other thing, the, the the other thing about the social media side, even though people are portraying what isn't real, because it is so intrusive, it's getting harder and harder to put masks on. Mm. Programs like Catfish, yeah, that I've seen that, that they yeah. take away and say, no, there's somebody else behind the facade. Yeah. Um, that's what I want to do with my paintings. I want them to be a starting point for people to think, do I need to put up a facade? Am I putting up a facade? Am I actually putting forward an image that isn't what I am? Before when you asked about fancy dress. Yes. Why do you wear the fancy dress? I, I wore fa fancy dress, um when I was selling my paintings and I did it so that people could see the inside of me. Yeah. I wanted my inside to match my outside. If I'd have turned up in a jeans and t-shirt. That's not you, is it? No. People would say, how the heck does this person paint those? Yeah. But if I'm coming and I match my outside to my inside, might not be everybody's inside, but people could say, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I can see you painting these, easy. I love fancy dress, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've, I've been in fancy dress at many parties and I like a little shock factor as well, you know. Uh, yeah, but it, it's a way of expressing yourself. Yeah. Yeah, and and there needs to be more of it. And I, But I think it's very important that people express their true selves and don't use it as a mask to cover up their true selves. So we'll move on a little bit now, Jill. And I'm going to tell everybody at home, if they want to buy one of your pictures, they need to take out a remortgage or, <laughs> or a bank loan. <laughs> your pictures actually sell for a lot of money, don't they? They're very sought after. Yeah, they do now. Yeah. Um, it wasn't always the case. No, no. But, but um, we're into thousands of pounds for some of your pieces of art. Yeah, for the yeah. larger pieces. Yeah. Um, that a, must a feel thousands. good. Just to be, and I'm not, I don't mean in the fact that the quantity of money, I mean to be valued. I want to be true to my buyers. Yeah. I, I want my buyers, they're important to me. People who support, they're supporting me. They're not just buying my work, they're mm. supporting me, they're supporting the way I think, um, and I want to be true to them and I want to support them back. Reactions are important. Yeah. doesn't have to be a good reaction. Right. It can make people angry. It can make people think, why the heck have you done that? Yeah. I want to make people react. Um, yeah. I do, uh, uh, from a money point of view, I sell more prints and merchandise with my images on. Yeah. Because not everyone's got a space for a one and a half metre by one no, metre no, painting no. of something that's a bit surreal. Mm. My, my husband doesn't want some of these paintings in the house, you know, hanging <laughs> on the walls because they freak him out completely. He doesn't like 
masks and he doesn't like dolls. Uh, he's a very real person. Yeah. Uh, so anything with a mask over it and things, it freaks him out a little bit. So he's like, don't put that one in the bedroom. Don't, don't no, put that one. Well, I can imagine, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't like more cake vicar in the bedroom. No, exactly. Because that's, you know, it's a bit freaky. It's brilliant, yeah. but it definitely, I have a reaction to that face. Yes, you know? but some people say that's had enough of a reaction for me to want to own that. I mm. want to own that painting. I want to own the original. Um, and it's been done with the airbrush paintings. Um, the one in particular, an absolutely fantastic lady who um, makes amazing clothes, bought one of my airbrush paintings before it was dry. Because she resonated with it so much, it meant so much to her that she wanted the original. She didn't want the yeah um, a print of it. She she wanted to own the one that I'd put the energy into, because original paintings they're not just an image; they they hold your energy. Yeah. Um, the 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 exhibition I've just had in Manchester. People came who've or they've seen all the paintings on, on online, but they came and saw them in in the flesh, as it were, yeah. and were blown away and said, "I can't believe the difference between seeing it on the screen and being in front of it." They 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 hold part of me. Each original piece, you put a lot into them, and that's what you're buying and you're not just buying the art you're buying the 40 years of process that went into it as well yeah. you're getting yeah. the full the full deal maybe now jill we'll talk about the fact that i called this show blind delusions and i'll just explain briefly but and then i'm going to ask you about it but you've you've got cataracts mm -hmm. so you you're going blind it's operable yeah so it can be fixed at some point, but your vision's deteriorated. And so the art you do, who knew that you would then flip to this particular type of art where you're taking what's inside and visualising it, you know, putting it on canvas so that other people can see it. Yeah. And slowly the veil, the curtain from the outside world is coming down upon you. So it's almost like, in a way... Your subconscious knew this was going to happen for a while, and so you started doing this surrealist. What's the correct term? Magical. Magical realism. There we go. Yeah. Magical realism. And it is turning more into surrealism, which is more fantasy because recording the real world is getting much more difficult. Yeah. As I've got fast-growing cataracts, so whereas age cataracts um, take years to grow. Um, this the one in my left eye has taken a year. Um, I noticed a deterioration only 12, 18 months ago, and now my left eye is pretty much useless. Right. So I am actually waiting for the operation to get them done. Well, as long as you can still see in front of you to actually paint, yeah, you can keep painting because you don't need to see the mountains or the sea or the birds no, or the trees it. because it. it's coming from inside. Yeah, yeah. And Sorry, Jim. <clears throat> so, what I started doing, I started, I stopped looking at what was in front of me because it was getting more difficult, and started concentrating more on the world in my head. And it felt very strange that I had such different parts of my work. I had 
work portraits, landscapes where I was cop- copying the world in front of me. I was r- uh, drawing what was in front of me. Then I had um, these paintings where they were just shapes. There was nothing there. I was just yeah. using colour to get abstract shapes down. It wasn't even magical realism. It wasn't surrealism. It was abstract. It was putting the paint where you feel as though it needs to go. And then I had the surrealism, which was more fantasy and dream, uh, my inner feelings, uh, paintings from dreams, yeah. images from dreams, and the magical realism, which was the realism mixed with images from my head. I thought, oh, how? W- what ties these together? What ties all these yeah. different, vastly different drawings and painting styles? And then I thought, what ties them all together is I'm recording reality. I'm recording what I am going through now. And then I thought, right, so if I take all these paintings and we... I made a scale called the delusional scale. scale. Right. I wondered if we were going to get to this. Yeah. Yeah. And say on the left side of left side of your delusional scale you would have reality what is in front of you you would recognise that exactly what's in front of you that is an external view of reality the abstract where you're just picking up colours because they feel right and throwing them down and making shapes because that's where your hand wanted to be at that time on the right side would be an internal view of reality. Yeah. You've got your internals and your externals at either end of this delusional scale. And then everywhere in between, you can fit all other pieces of work. Mm-hmm. So all these pieces of work that I was doing were my reactions to reality depending on where the, along the delusional scale I was accessing reality. Mm-hmm. So if I was accessing reality as viewing from it, it would be at the externals. If I was accessing reality by bits that were in front of me with how I was feeling and mixing them and putting magical creatures into it, that would be in the centre. Yeah. The surrealism, um, the way I think about dreams things like that, that would be more towards the internal and then yeah. you've got your... Inter- I don't think you could actually get pure internal. Because you'd have to be external to do it. So yeah. there's a little bit of a yeah. catch-22 there. Absolutely. Yeah. You could never get completely external because there's always something of yourself yeah, going into it. you've always got how you feel at that moment, your mood, your emotions. Yeah. That's why it had to be a scale. There was yeah. no hard and fast rules. It had to be somewhere. Yeah. Um, so I came up with this idea of the delusional scale and it made it made me feel better about creating different types of work mm. because I know that all I'm doing is recording reality. That's all I'm trying to do. Um, and as my eyes started getting worse, especially I'd say since January, my work has gone more and more internal because the external world is getting more and more mm. difficult to see. 
What we talked about before the show in the pre-show chat is the fact that sometimes, for example, like my nervous breakdown, at the time it felt like the end of the world and the worst thing that could ever happen and a terrible, terrible thing. A few years later, I realise it's the best thing that ever happened to me and it saved my life. So in the same way, you having the cataracts has shifted your art into a certain direction possibly and made you, you know, you become more internal. To think of when I got told about it last November and I got so upset thinking, oh my gosh, this is it, I'm not going to yeah. be able to do it. It's changed, but as I've always done, I try and go with the flow. Yeah. I try and not fight against something that's obviously happening. Mm. The beautiful thing about it is that it is operable. Uh, yes. You can have this experience good or bad, or, you know, you don't know what's around the corner, but that your vision will be repaired at some point. I think that's the yeah. thing that I can look forward to. and But it also makes me realise how difficult it must be for people who haven't got that option. Yeah. The, the thought of this being permanent, I, I, I couldn't yeah. even think A- about that. Any one-way street's always frightening. You yes. Know, when you're going down somewhere and you know there's no going back. Yeah, you know. absolutely. So I mean, I'm thankful that it is operable. Um, and, and now I'm just waiting. The thing is, under normal circumstances, with the current social situation and what's going on in the world, I'd have had the operation by now. Yeah. I'd have had my 2020 vision. And... I wouldn't be where I am. I wouldn't be sat opposite you. I, I'd just be happily carrying on doing portraits and landscapes. And yeah. And it's weird how something like you with you, the nervous breakdown, yeah. something so on the front of it, so horrible, can become something that you grow from. Um, but isn't that a lesson that a lot of people learn? That of course, you, yeah. You grow from something yeah, that ha- yeah. as horrible that's happened to you. You told me as well that during lockdown, you'd rattled out 70 pieces of art. Oh, at least. Yeah, yeah. Uh, th- that's just the paintings and then the drawings on top of that. Yeah. It's running into hundreds. Have you ever seen on, I think it's... Might be the Muppet Show, and there's a chef, and he goes dum da dum da dum, and he's throwing food everywhere, and he's got his hat on and stuff. I imagine your house when you you know you're <laughs> prolifically doing yeah. these paintings and paint on the walls and and you know covered in paint and everything. I just imagine it being chaos. Yeah. It is. Yeah. It is. Um, at one point, my husband, because I, I was finishing canvases and putting them on next to the wall in the bedroom, and yeah. at one point he had to, he was having to climb in the bed because. <laughs> no room. There was no room. There was no room for him to get Sleeping stood up, stood up. So basically, I've had to hang a lot of paintings on the walls. But then, of course, lockdown eased a little bit and I could get paintings into exhibitions. So yeah. I've got three down in Buxton at the moment. So that was a, a bit of a, a, a release of yeah. the uh, space problem. Um and I don't, I, I'm, of course, people buy them 
And as people start buying them, that frees up space. It gives me more cash. More money to buy more canvases to do more paintings. That's, that's, that's <laughs> why I sell them, honestly. If I could just keep them all and yeah. just look through them every now and again, but someone just gave me lots of money to paint, yeah. that would be no problem yeah. whatsoever. So you sell them to get enough money to buy more paint and canvases to do more. And it, that cycle just carries on yeah. and on. Yeah. By the way, at the end of this show, folks, we're going to do, there'll be the extras as normal. And in that, we're going to do a slideshow and show you quite a lot of Jill's art. And I'd have a look at it. It's fantastic. It's amazing. So, Jill, if somebody wants to buy some of your art or your merchandise, yeah, give us your website address and tell us where they go. It's www.delusionsshop.com. Yes www.delusionshop.com. Delusion shop, all one word. It is. Okay. It is. And on there, you sell your merchandise and also some of your original art. They can look at the, the original art and the prices for that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And if anyone's got any questions or something they can't find that they've seen somewhere else, just drop me a message. Um, I know yeah. I, I know where everything is. So, yeah, well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's in the bedroom, fourth, exactly. fourth on the right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I have got a system for everything now, so everything's yeah. fine. Um, th and I am still producing. I was painting this morning before before I came, so yeah. um, th there's more on the way. Uh, I've got sketchbooks full of things and it's all going to be about the masks, the identities yeah. that we put up and we need to break them down. And if somebody wants to buy your book as well, the book you did. That's on the website. That's on the website as yeah. well. Yeah. And you've also got your Facebook business page as well. I have. Which is on Instagram as well. Yeah. 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 And what are they? What's the name? Uh, Jill Nicholas Delusions. Jill Nicholas Delusions, and that's Instagram and your Facebook business. Yeah, basically, if you put in Jill Nicholas Delusions into Google, I'd say the top six or seven yes. are, are all links to different wherever I am on right on the internet. Yeah, Brilliant. okay. Jill, thank you very very much for coming on the show. I love your art. I think you're a beautiful person. I've really enjoyed talking to you. You as well, Patrick. It's been a fantastic experience. And it's been lovely to be able to express what I'm going through and my reality at the moment. Yeah, well, these are the kind of shows I love to do where somebody comes on, like yourself, and we get to find out what's going on, how, how it all works. You yeah. know, because <laughs> when you see your art, people are going to be curious. People are going to say, what the bloody hell? How's how's that happened? You know, and then they'll meet you and it'll all make sense. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sums it up, definitely. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Patrick. Okay. So, folks, I'm going to leave the show with a quote from a book, the first book from Pills to Peace by me, Midnight McBride. And this quote, again, is by me, Midnight McBride. This is actually the quote on the back of the book. It's one of the main quotes in the book, and I don't use it all that often, but I think today it's relevant. And the quote is, when you think from a beautiful garden, you will see flowers everywhere. And that is, when you think in a certain way, that will be your experience of the external world. So if you can get this right and start to think positively, with correct thought and start to experience joy and bliss. Life will be one beautiful, wonderful journey. 
You can watch this podcast out twice a week. It's on Sunday and Thursday on this YouTube channel and you can just click subscribe so you'll get all the episodes automatically. Then three days later, this goes live on the audio podcast on iTunes, Amazon, Spotify, Podbean, etc. You can buy the book from Pills to Peace in Kindle version, paperback version or the audio book on Amazon and in numerous other places as well. You can watch the radio show every Monday night from 11 till 12 or midnight till midnight on Salford FM, 94.4 FM. And you can also find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook and LinkedIn. And you can also go to the website, midnightmcbride.com. There'll be other bits I've missed, but you've got the gist. Have a wonderful week. I look forward to seeing you at the same time next week. Shalom. Thank you.